0: Hello everyone, Joel Junker here with another episode of the Karen Brooks Podcast and a special episode here focused on our, on leadership development, specifically on how we can become better coaches, asking better questions, and listening more often and being more curious when we interact with our team members. Uh, to aid in this, I called on the expert, Michael Bungay-Stanier. Michael is the author of the book called The Coaching Habit, which has sold close to a million copies and has 1,000 thousand star reviews uh, on Amazon. He followed up the book, The Coaching Habit with a recent book called The Advice Trap. Michael is the founder of the, the organization, The Box of Crayons, which is a learning and development company focusing on organizations to move from advice-driven to curiosity-led cultures. They have trained hundreds of thousands of managers to be more coach-like, and their clients range from Microsoft to Gucci. To learn more about Michael, you can visit him at his website, mbs.works. I hope you enjoy the the podcast. But Michael, um, I wanna wanna explain to you why I wanted you on the show. I wanna give you a little story, and then I'm gonna try to talk less, like you want me to with all your (laughs) books, right? You want me to talk less? Sure. Ask more questions, but I want to tell you this story, and I want the listeners to hear this story. So I did this leadership assessment, uh, this is probably three, four years ago. I uh, can't remember exactly. And the, the coach got on the phone and he said, um, Joel, you're smart. You're probably even too smart. And you're, you're, you're defeating your people. He said that you're cutting them off and you're making them feel bad. And uh, I said, oh my gosh, really? I think I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm a good leader. Um, he said, "Yeah, they're coming in. They're sitting down. They're bringing problems to you. They're talking to you, and you're giving them the solutions. And they're walking out of there feeling dumb. They're feeling stupid, and they're feeling less. They're feeling less than right. And I and I felt less than. I felt terrible because that's the exact opposite of what I really wanted to, to be and who I, who I think I'm as a person." And um, probably right around, I think, like weeks after that feedback, I'm listening to the podcast of Art of Manliness. You're on the podcast talking about your book, The Coaching Habit. And this is this becomes the solution of this is, this is exactly what I was doing wrong. Every, I was doing exactly everything right. you told me not to do. <laughs> and you're, I read your book. Multiple times, I actually went out and got a coach certification through Northwestern University. Oh, brilliant! But what I love about Michael, about you, is that you have democratized coaching. Mm-hmm. Your book, The Coaching Habit, has brought this to everybody. Parents, yep. To everybody can can follow this. So so thank you for that. Thank you for that. And that's how we got to this 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 episode today. But how many times have you heard stories of people thinking, hey, I thought I was doing the right thing, solving problems. That's what leaders doing, but I was, oh, I've been going about it the wrong way.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, yours isn't the first, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. for sure. But what's really valuable about your story is twofold. The one is that you weren't trying to be a bad leader before. You were trying your very best to be a good leader before. You were trying to help. You were trying to add value. And it's ironic and almost paradoxical that trying too hard to be too helpful gets in the way of you being an effective leader because we've collapsed this commitment to supporting our people, to thinking that the way you do that is you give them the answers and you give them the solutions. And, that, that, and sometimes it is. I mean, there's nothing inherently wrong with advice some of the time. It's just an overdeveloped muscle for, for many of us. And Joel, your story is classic, which is like they come in and they go, this is my problem. You're like, I'm going to really help you here because I'm smart and I'm experienced and I've done some of this and I want you to succeed. I don't want you to make mistakes I made. And I want you to get through this as fast and effectively as possible. It just... It just doesn't work like that (laughs) and people feel diminished by it. Sometimes, sometimes you've solved the wrong problem. Sometimes your advice isn't that good anyway. Um, Even if it's really brilliant advice, solving the right problem, you've somehow disempowered the other person. So that shift in thinking of yourself as a leader to look, what if my job was to help them find the right problem rather than to give them the fast solution? actually starts making a world of difference the second thing just to pick up on is um you know when you said trying to democratize coaching yeah you know i that's really at the heart of some of the work i want to do you know it's, it's almost to make it unweird <laughs> because right. there's a bunch of people who've kind of crossed the rubicon and who are all in on coaching because they've done the training and they've become coaches like you have and like I have. And they're like, I get it. And I love it. This is amazing. And then there's the majority of people who go, you know, I've kind of heard of coaching and it's a bit weird and it's a bit black box and it's a bit HR and it's a bit touchy feely. And look, I am a engineer or an officer or an executive or a marketer or a salesperson. I don't want to be a coach. I want to, I want to be those things. And I'm like, Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're not, we 're not trying to turn you into a coach we 're trying to add being more coach like staying curious a little bit longer to the way you show up and you interact with the world, your team, your boss, your peers, your kids, your neighbors, <laughs> the person behind the grocery desk, whatever to, to as a way of building stronger, better relationships
0: A couple of stories on that, just to build on what you' talk about being more coach like so when I did the uh, the coach program. At Northwestern, I really thought, "Oh, okay, I will, I will coach on the side or in addition to this." And and then I realized everything that I learned in the program, beautiful, wonderful program. Everything that I learned was actually just supposed to be applied in the day to day in my job here, right? As a leader at my organization, camera, what's working with military officers, making from the transition to the business world. Yep, I joined a, a, the board of trustees for our health system here and I can't tell you how many times I go to those meetings and a, and a trustee, the whole point is to ask questions to get the executives to what you just said, what is the real problem they're trying to solve? Get them to Thank clarify, you. not defend, but get them to come out into. and, and that, honestly, I do very little formal contract coaching Yeah, and I do a lot of coach-like conversations. Too. I said I was going to talk less, but I got some. much.
1: <laughs> Look, I'm, so, I, I, I love, you your love this part. Maybe cause... you've heard
0: this story too before. Well, I have. My, my wife will give me a problem. <laughs> she'll start asking me, like, oh, I was thinking about this. So I was thinking about this. And I'll start asking her questions. And she'll say, are you that coaching like
1: me? like I was asking for an yeah. answer. Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> don't coach
0: me anymore. I just want your opinion. Just tell me what you want to do. So I think there are times. <laughs> yeah. You're not supposed to be coached like.
1: So my, my wife, you know, very early on, you know, actually today, marks the 28th year from our first date. So we've been together forever. Congratulations! Um, yeah, thanks. It's, it's very cool. I'm lucky to have such a great person in my life. Um, but she's kind of skeptical about, co- co- actually, that's not fair. But she was really clear from the outset. She goes, if I ever catch you coaching me, you are dead to me. <laughs> you, <laughs> there's no coaching allowed here. And I do think that in some ways, some of the stuff that I've developed around here, which is to make coaching almost, uh, it's not like a prominent lead in this conversation. It's just a way of showing up with somebody has been influenced by Marcela going, don't coach me. I'm, like, right. I'm not coaching you. I'm just curious as to what you're up, up against. Um, you know, some, A metaphor I sometimes use is, you, know, you can think of coaching a bit like spinach to a two-year-old. You put a lump of spinach on their plate and go, hey, two-year-old, there are your vegetables. I want you to eat your vegetables. It's a bit like saying to lots of people, oh, you you seem like you're having trouble. Let me coach you. It's just kind of you get an immediate resistance. They don't want to be coached. They don't want to be put through your process. But if you you have a two-year-old and you take the spinach and you blend it into the spaghetti sauce, they don't really notice that they're eating their vegetables. And likewise, if you're with other people and you go, look, I'm not going to coach them. I'm just going to stay curious a little bit longer. Then you get into a conversation that feels more nourishing and more supportive for them. And Joel, just to say it again, and there is a place for your advice. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's just a little later on in the conversation. Just yeah. ask a few more questions and then you'll see that it might be a time where you get to go, well, let me, let me tell you something that comes to mind for me.
0: And I do want to get into that because, especially with our audience, some of the people in the military, there's, there's got to be times where they can't be coach like. Yeah. There's times they've got to be very directive. And even totally. the executives have to be in business, have to be that way.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, um, uh, the guy who, Dan Goleman, who is best known for making emotional intelligence a popular concept, he, he didn't come up with it, but he wrote the book Emotional Intelligence and it really popularized it. Twenty years ago he wrote an article for Harvard Business Review about leadership that gets results, and he based on research, they went, look there are six different leadership styles. the best executives, the best leaders use all six of them in the appropriate context, and some of that is directive. Do this now, some of it is democratic. what do you think? what do you think what do you think okay majority wins some of it is kind of gathering input what do you all think and i get to make the final decision and you know some of it is coaching and in goldman's research 20 years ago he said look even though coaching can be shown to have a direct report on profitability definitely the most influence on culture which you know everybody knows the saying culture eats strategy for breakfast um here's like, it's the one done least because people just don't have time for coaching. And so much of our work um, through the books and through Box of Crayons, the company I founded, is like, you can coach somebody in 10 minutes or less. Let me show you how. Let me show you how it's an everyday part of the work that you do. But don't think that this is the replacement leadership style. It is just an underutilized leadership style that you are better off using it's a great place to start <laughs> because it's easier to move from coach like to directive than it is from directive to coach like you know in a conversation it's like start start off with a conversation and you just go oh i need to tell you what to do here so i'm moving to that it's hard to kind of pull back from directive and then go oh let me ask you a question instead
0: well i think this is a great place that that we should probably i you or i i'm going to give my the version that's in the <laughs> the book Beautiful. here um so you you def- we should define coaching so in the the coaching habit you define coaching the essence of coaching is helping others unlock their potential yeah um but since you, you what you're talking about sometimes it there's directive is not about helping people unlock their potential directive is i like, got a tr- strategy for the company we have got to save somebody from some of from some from some of their selves or yep. they've got to be able to move forward but Co- coaching is not like, I like golf. Coaching is not telling people what to do, get your wrist here, do this, do that. What is coaching from your perspective?
1: Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of definitions of coaching out there. You know, every, every company or organization that's teaching coaching skills probably has made up their own definition. I'm, I've done the same. So it's worthwhile distinguishing the process and the outcome. Process for me being more coach like is can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice giving a little bit more slowly? And for me, the process is a more tangible thing to hang it on to rather than an outcome. Because most definitions of coaching as outcomes, they honestly feel a bit airy fairy and distant from reality, even unlocking people's potential. Like there's nobody listening to this podcast that is anti-that, <laughs> going, I'm anti-unlocking people's potential. But likewise, there's nobody who's going, and on my day-to-day list of things to do, is unlocking people's potential. It's, it's, too big. it's a bigger win. It's a bigger game. But if actually you understand that the process of coaching, staying curious a little bit longer, moves forward the two things that you need for success in organization. You need people's potential unlocked, and, and their engagement increased. So you've got really good people doing the best that they can. And you're having more impact in the work that you're doing. You're more focused on solving the real challenges, figuring out the big problems that you can then bring to your market, whether you're a profit or a nonprofit, you know, public company, private company. In the end, your organization thrives by solving a problem for somebody. You know, uh, a marketing guy who I really like, I'm based in Tennessee. Don Miller says people buy medicine. So if you're a organization, big, small, private, public, you sell medicine, you you fix problems. And you want your people in your organization to be working on the challenges that allow you to best solve that problem, differentiate yourself from the others, you know, claim market share, all of that stuff. You need both. It's, 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 it's another way of articulating culture and strategy. Culture is in many ways the way our people are engaged and our people are behaving. Our strategy is how we go to market, how we make a difference. And even though they say culture eats strategy for breakfast, they're, they're twin sons. <laughs> you need culture that reinforces strategy and strategy that reinforces culture. And uh, coaching is a leadership style that reinforces culture and helps you deliver
0: against strategy. Because you really engage, you know, I would say, listen to this, to pull be pull all the way through because you really engage everybody in the organization. You get their full mind versus that person. As I was talking, my experience, they walk into my office, they sit down, they say, I got this. I'm thinking about this. Like, do this, do this, do this. Whose mind did we really use there? Right. 50% mine. None, none of that other person. And maybe they, because they're living it right. is their problem, maybe less than 50% because yeah. they've got it. But coaching is not, uh, it's not like the football coach put your hands here do this do that that's actually the antithesis of what we're talking about in coaching I think it's where people get confused
1: that's one of the reasons for sure although there is really I mean the most successful football team in the world in the broader sense of football not just American football or soccer football or I'm talking rugby union Sure. Um, and I'm talking about the All Blacks, the New Zealand All Blacks. They are just this <laughs> machine. And they come from this tiny island, you know, with a small population, you know, it's thirteen million, I think, as a population. It's not very big. But they just have dominated rugby union for years. And if you watch rugby union on the T V and you see them doing the haka, the traditional Maori kind of war dance at the start, and you see the physicality of it, you know, I know probably the majority of your listeners are American. They're like, it's it's like American football, but without any of this helmet stuff or padding stuff or taking breaks every three minutes stuff or going, I'm not even part of the team half the time because I'm on the attacking team, not the defensive team. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's just 15 men on this, and women, but in the All Blacks case, men, relentless game that is physical and unrelenting. And when you talk to when you see their coaches talk about their style, yes, there is some guidance around technical stuff, but it's not go away and memorize the playbook. It's actually inquiry-led coaching that allows people to figure it out themselves because in doing that, you invite them to be adults in their own lives. You invite them to find the solutions themselves and you create the space to say, you're much more likely to figure this out, act on it, own it, make it happen if you've if you've if you become smarter yourself by figuring this out rather than just kind of dumbly taking orders, I mean, it translates to how do you navigate? I mean, I I don't have a whole lot of experience with the military, so I'm you know people who are listening and who do they'll listen to me and go you don't know what you're talking about, and you're quite right. I don't know what you're talking about, but it seems to me that the military. Whenever I've talked to senior people, they point out that you know the, the the civilian view of a military of just a whole bunch of people taking orders all the way down a hierarchy is not actually what happens. You know, part of what you're doing in the military is you're ensuring that the person who is at the edge of where the decision needs to be made has the competence and the confidence to adapt and be resilient and make the decision in that moment. That's that's kind of what you want.
0: Yeah, and so I want to interrupt there because we have a we, we know somebody in common. Uh, you, I listened to your podcast with Brigadier General retired Tom Coldatz. Exactly, and that's who you're referring to. as I listened to that. So last year, last year, uh, I visited the Doran Institute. I yeah. mentioned I was on the board of trustees for the Health System Hill, Hill Country Memorial they wanted to bring a more coach-like culture into the organization. And I'm on the board, that's nothing to do with the inside. So they, But they knew I was a leadership coach, had experience. So they asked me to go with them. So the chief human resources officer and I spent a day at the Dora Institute, Rice University, and yep. had lunch and presentation with Tom, what great work he's doing there. He is. So I think you guys had it spot on uh, there that it's the person that's it, that at the point that you got to develop them to engage them and telling them what to do all the time this goes back to the joel junker experience defeat right. them it actually does not unlock that potential when you ask a question and they have to
1: figure out an answer you literally increase their potential because you literally create new neural pathways in their brain you, you, you people have seen it you ask that question and they don't know the answer and you can see their eyes drift up to the left as you can see them kind of, you can always hear the brain's cogs turning and it's like, yes, let and some people don't get a little anxious when you ask a question and there's not a fast answer. But actually, as you get more experienced in being more coach-like, you realize that these are the sweetest moments because these are the moments when actually the work's being done. When you ask a question and you can see them <laughs> taking a breath going, oh man, I don't, I don't have a fast answer to that. You get to just be quiet and sit there and go, this is the moment. This is where I see them grow in front of my very eyes.
0: There's so much to unpack there, silence. You didn't, you didn't actually say the word silence. Uh, how come silence is so hard for people and why is it so important?
1: It's, um, it is an underutilized uh, tool in conversations and in guiding conversations, coach-like conversations. I'm not sure why we're so anxious about silence. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's a North American thing or an Australian thing, but so often my own experience and probably yours as well, you ask a question and there's this beat, or two of silence as they, as they don't immediately have an answer. And inside we can we, we get anxious, we get nervous around it. It's like, oh, was it a bad question? Did I ask it badly? Did, I under, did they not understand it? And we wanna fill it. It's, it's part of that drive to be helpful, which ends up only being in inverted commas, you know, air quotes, helpful. We're like, well, let me ask it again. Or, let me ask you a different question. Let me ask you six questions and maybe one of those will be the right thing. And you betray the moment by doing that. There's a couple of things to realize. First of all, that person might be different than you or certainly me. So my wiring is somebody asks me a question and I just start talking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like I 'm in the approximate direction I'm heading for. I'm not entirely sure what the answer is yet. I'm look forward to discovering my own answer to the question that you just asked me. It's a classic extrovert wiring introverts. It's simplifying, I know, but introverts, they like to see the whole arc of their answer before they start talking. So they actually need a beat or two to see their, their answer coalesce in their brain before they start articulating it. When you can't hold the silence, you step over on the toes of those people. It just needed another heartbeat <laughs> and that would have been fine. But no, no, you had to fill it up with a whole bunch of, other, of noise to distract them and get them off the, the piece. The other thing to, to know is that even if you're finding that silence awkward, they too are finding the silence awkward. So they will crack first. So it is, one of, it's, it's, it is a practice. It is a discipline. You ask a question, you wait. You notice your own discomfort and you go, hey, yeah, I'm feeling <laughs> uncomfortable. I feel it all the time. This is me, Michael, the experienced coach. I feel it all the time. And I'm like, I just take another breath and it'll be fine. And I take another breath and it's still silent. So I tell you, I'll oh, just take another breath and it will be fine. And you know, if I'm in that person or we're coming through Zoom, I'm smiling and I'm nodding my head. I'm kind of giving non-verbal cues of encouragement and engagement. I'm looking in their eyes. And it's still silence, so I'll just take another breath. You know, if they haven't spoken for six breaths, maybe I'll start thinking of reframing the question. But really, I'll just try and take another breath because the silence is often the space people need to do the thinking. This is, this is what coaching can be. It can give you a moment to actually have a thought. <laughs> and so much of our lives are filled with the busyness of it all and the doingness of it all that we don't have that much time to actually stop and reflect and it can be a great gift for give people three minutes thinking time and it can be the most valuable part of their
0: day. There's a, I think it was Daniel Pink. I think it's in the book to sell as human mm-hmm. where he talks about, ask the question, listen, and just give it an extra moment, give it an extra just, and you'll be amazed that people will pick up and keep going. Yeah, And so, I interview people for a living to determine their marketability to leave the military and go to business. When I learned that technique, I was blown away by two things. Number one, what people had more to tell me when I didn't jump right at the end of their answer with a response, but rather nodded, paused, and they had more. Two, I would leave conversations less exhausted myself. Right, I must have been working harder, written the wrong way, or pushing against right. on there. And I think the other people I want to share with people about coaching too is at least from my experience, how much more I enjoy leading now, being more coach like. How much more fun and enjoyable it is. Yeah. And then how much more I learn. Right. By being coach like.
1: Yeah you know, that, that whole piece are in silence and nod your head. And, you know, you just flick your eyebrows a bit. (laughs) You're like, and, and it kind of signals. Yeah. What else? You know, one of the, the questions in the coaching habit book, you know, is, and what else? Yeah. And I, I talk about it as being the best coaching question because their first answer is never their only answer and it's rarely their best answer. So, and what else is the verbal, yeah, keep going. Um, but sometimes you don't even need that. Sometimes nodding, looking excited, being quiet and kind of raising your eyebrows a bit is effectively the non-verbal equivalent of, yeah, and what else? What else you got? They're <laughs> like, oh, wow, this is unusual. Somebody hasn't interrupted me after two minutes of talking. Well, okay, let me tell you a little bit more. You know, in, um, in our approach to being more coach-like, we have three principles. Be lazy, be curious, be often. Be curious. We're all getting right. It's like tame your advice monster. Ask better questions. Ask another question. Stay silent. All of that is a commitment to curiosity. Um, be often. It's actually the more radical of the most radical of the three principles because it says every interaction with somebody can be more coach-like because it's just about staying curious a little bit longer. So, in person, by email, IM, text, on the phone, through the Zoom, you know. Anytime you're interacting with somebody, if you say, ask a question rather than rushing to a statement, you're being more coach-like. But the most provocative of the three is be lazy. <laughs> and it's a bit of a con, you know, as a, as a principle, it's a little bit of a con because it's actually saying be lazier about the content, work harder on the process you have to work harder around the self-management piece to stay curious. You have to work to not interrupt. You have to work to give them the floor. You have to work to stay silent. That takes practice and discipline. So it's not genuine laziness around just kind of exactly opting out of the, opting out of the conversation, but it is a willingness to say, look, I'm going to be lazy around trying to engage in the content because that's theirs to deal with. But as a coach, or a leader who's coach-like, I'm fully committed to working the process and working hard on that so that they get to work hard during the conversation. I want to see them think and sweat, work it out and struggle with the issue because then they get to learn and grow. Then they get to maintain ownership of the challenge that they brought to you.
0: I think this is a great place. We should. uh, some, Some people are not familiar with your book. Our goal here is to help more people become familiar with Impossible. your book possible no, yes this is, <laughs> I, not only for you but i also just believe i believe in this i believe in this because it radically changed me i love hearing that thank you and so i think that so people are not familiar with this and well they're going to go out and get the book but the, let's give them some context somebody walks in and I'll, I'll get situation somebody walks into my office they sit down they get joel i got this problem what's the first question that you recommend and I know you recommend not asking rhetorical questions. I've just asked you one, but I want you to talk about yeah. this list of the questions that you sure. recommend walking through.
1: Look, the, the, a really great question that works almost all the time as an opening remark is simply go, okay, so what's on your mind? Because what that does is express genuine interest. It, it bats the, the ownership of the conversation back to them, which is like, you tell me what we're talking about but it also has a context, a subcontext, uh, a subtext. <laughs> it's a subtext that says, right, I don't want to report out on everything that you're thinking about right now or you're doing or you're responsible for. I want you to tell me the thing that you're excited about or worried about or anxious about or thrilled about or overwhelmed about. You're effectively saying, how can I best be of service? What's the thing that if we could solve it, fix it, dig into it right now, would bring you the greatest relief help you make the greatest progress So tell me what's on your mind and now you've got this opportunity to accelerate into a conversation one of the ways that rightfully so people are a little concerned or 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 resistant to this whole idea of coaching is it's like i don't have time for this i'm like exactly you don't have time if you think it's an hour-long chat with somebody but if you go, right, I've got five minutes, what's on your mind? Now you're up for it. Now you've got five minutes and you're gonna be coach-like and you're gonna make real progress on something that really matters to them. That is being a great leader.
0: And this is part of what I was gonna ask in the section two is like, when is coaching appropriate? You touched on that. It doesn't have, unlike the, the formal coaching that somebody would get through HR or they would get externally, this is walking by somebody's desk, of course, six feet apart at somebody's yeah. desk at this time and saying, hey, what's on your mind? Right. Or yeah. they come to the office. Hey, I just wanted to sit down and just check in. Great. What's on your mind? Yeah. Joel, I've got this problem. Great. Well, m- 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 tell me more. Or what and then you mentioned the second question of, and what else to talk about that. Yeah. Well, how come the question, what's the real challenge here for you, which is your third question. Yeah. How come that's so... Why, how, I'm not supposed to ask why questions we want to get into. Them. I do know that. But how come, what's the real challenge here for you is such an important question.
1: Well, my standing theory is that um, in almost every organization, big, small, private, public, profit, nonprofit, people are working very, very hard on stuff that doesn't matter that much because they get seduced into thinking the first challenges that show up are the real challenges. We have a bias to action and the discipline to say, let's slow down a little bit so that we know, and we take the time to figure out what's the most important thing for us to solve here just is a much more effective and efficient way of working, but it takes some discipline. So the conversation, what's the real challenge here for you? I mean, look, if you, here's a tip to everybody listening. You're in a meeting. It seems to be drifting. You can feel yourself getting a bit bored and impatient, or it feels like we're going down the wrong path. And you can almost, you're not quite sure why, but in your bones, you're like, I don't feel like we've got our eye on what really matters here. You say something like this. Hey, I just want to pull us back. You know, when we think of this topic that we're, we're addressing here, what, what's the real challenge here for us? Everybody's going to take a breath and go, man, that guy is so smart or that woman is so smart, so strategic, so insightful. You're like, exactly. You don't even have to have the answer. You just have to be the person who champions a, a rigor to go, I'm just going to make sure that we're focused on the stuff that really matters. And if you are the person who is focused on the stuff that really matters, you get acknowledged, seen, promoted, encouraged.
0: And then go to this next step, which is critical to, to the person of, what do you want?
1: Yeah. What do you want? So it's empowering. It is empowering. And it's also just, it's grounding in a way. Here's what I mean by that. Um, let's say you've gone through the process of figuring out what the real challenge is. So, you know, I like the question, what's the real challenge here for you? it's better than the bare bones version of that question which is what's the challenge here what's the challenge here will give you a restatement maybe in a tiny bit more detail of what's on their mind what's the real challenge here for you will actually change the topic because when you add the word real it increases it says look there's a number of different avenues here what's the real challenge and when you add for you you swing the spotlight from the challenge to the person working on the challenge. Mm. It's where it goes beyond just fixing it to actually helping the person learn and grow and take ownership and see how they are actually part of the system, part of the problem, part of the solution. What's the real challenge here for you? And i often suggest a script. It goes like this, Joel, you've seen it. Cause I know you've read both of the books. What's the real challenge here for you. And they'll have an answer and you nod your head and go, great. What else is a challenge here for you? And they're like, Ooh, <laughs> and they'll have an answer for you. And then you go, okay, what else is a challenge here for you? And now they're like, oh wow. Okay. And they'll probably have an answer. And then you go, okay. So knowing all of that, what's the real challenge here for you? And then you you hold the silence because <laughs> they'll be sweating slightly. <laughs> you'll be seeing them trying to figure this out, but you just hold the silence and you're like, you know, I'm radiating in a nonverbal way, man. This is good stuff. You're doing great. I'm got your back. We're going to figure this out together. And they get there and you're like, Oh, so that's what the real challenge is. And here's what's amazing when you ask that and you go through that discipline, a good percentage of the time, maybe a third of the time, maybe more if you're lucky, when they get to that aha about what the real challenge is, they already know what needs to be done. You know, they're, they're, they're done with you. They're like, can we stop talking now? Because I've got stuff to do. Because now I see what the real challenge is, the, the, the next number of steps become obvious to me. It's very powerful. It's part of what allows you to coach in such a fast way. Get them to the real challenge. And the action piece is not the piece they need help on. They've already got that. But sometimes it's worth going a little deeper and they're like, okay, so if that's the real challenge. What do you want? What do you want here? What else do you want? And what else do you want? Okay. So what do you really want? And what this does is it does, it kind of plays with time. It takes people a little bit into the future and helps them imagine what success looks like and what it is for them figuring this out. And it helps them to figure out what they want in the moment you know, whether it's support, whether it's encouragement, whether it's resources, it kind of almost gives them ground on which to take the first step. And then if you're feeling really lazy and you've got this really powerful statement about what they want, you can just, you know, recycle a question. You go, wow, if that's what you really want, what's the real challenge here for you? (laughs) And here's what you're feeling if you're doing this. If you're on, on your side of the table, you're feeling... I hope they don't catch on that. I just seem to be using three or four questions time and time again, you know, isn't this cheating? (laughs) Is this, is this what leadership is? And I'm like, yes, it is cheating. Yes, it is what leadership is. It's having the discipline to actually say, look, I'm going to take you through a few really good questions that allow you quickly to get to the heart of what really matters. And here's what I can reassure you with is like almost all the time, the other person's not thinking, you know, what questions are you asking me? They're thinking, how do I answer these really good questions that you're asking me?
0: The, and I love this next question too. If you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? So what is it about that question that strikes a chord for you, Joe? When I coach, I probably get to this point a little bit faster than, than I should based on listening to you here. But I think everything that we are in life, we have choices and we have consequences. And sometimes I don't, I think that some people understand that, but often we don't recognize, especially in Western society, how much choice we have. With choice comes responsibility, Mm -hmm. with choice comes outcomes. And when I'm helping somebody make a decision, to leave the military, to go to business. And when they're going to business, they're interviewing for a variety of positions. Right. And they're gonna choose, where should I start my career? They have consequences. Sometimes people take consequences as negative. Consequences is just, this is, I'm gonna choose this, this is what I'm going to live with. There's gonna be pros and cons. But when you get people to really take a look at the choice and really think through the consequences, they really get clarity. This is what I think I feel like this is where they get clarity on right. what do I need to do? Yeah. What path do I need to get on? You phrase it more as if you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? I look at it as choices and consequences. I, the reason I love it, I feel like when I get here with people, they get clarity.
1: I, there are two reasons that I love this question and they kind of build on both of what you're saying, but the points you're making here, Joel. And the first is uh, You say consequences, I say opportunity cost, which is like, what are the consequences of you saying yes to this? What are the consequences of you saying no to the other things? Every choice you make means you eliminate other choices you could have taken. So it's not a casual thing to say yes to it, because you don't have an infinite number of yeses to play. So you're like, okay, if I'm saying yes to this, I'm saying no to this. If I say yes, this is just my life at the moment. If I'm saying yes to doing an hour's worth of email this morning, I'm saying no to having my best brain time um, devoted to writing my next book. That's the opportunity cost. And so often we don't really surface the opportunity cost, Mm -hmm. but it's only when we start seeing the, the, the no's, the sacrifices we need to make to make the yes real and have an edge and have a force that's where our choices become much more real so there's a way that for me asking this question i'm I'm right with you around it's all about the choice it's like i want you to be really well informed about this choice i want you to be bold i want you to be courageous i want you not to be sabotaged by unexpected stuff you haven't seen through this choice as best you can so for me the if you're going to say yes to this what must you say no to broadens the scope of how you see your choice it sees consequences it sees opportunity cost it sees what commitment looks like and makes it more likely people will follow through on the choice that they're making
0: It's just that again that's why i like the question yours is as you're saying this i keep thinking about how i can bring that more into my conversations and before we get to the last question the theme that i want the listeners and i I have learned over time as you've said this, I keep asking the same three or four basic direct questions. Right. In coach certification, I'm sure you had to do the same thing. I had to record myself, I had to listen, I had to learn models it, and you mentioned that you kind of alluded to this in the beginning. It, it's probably been made more complex in some ways than it needs to be. Yep. I even remember listening to myself trying to nail this perfect question. And by doing that, I made it so complex, so hard to understand that I never really got to the heart of helping the person. <laughs> exactly. And it yeah. just can just be simple.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a saying from one of the, your, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, justices. Um, he says, look, I, I, wouldn't, I don't give a fig for simplicity on this side of complexity, but I would give everything for simplicity on the other side of complexity. And you know that's that 's a goal that I set for myself i don 't always get there by any means, but I feel like in the coaching habit it's one of my best attempts to get to simplicity on the other side of complexity and a lot of contemporary training of coaching skills gets a bit mired down in complexity it's like here 's the model that nobody can quite remember here's the here 's the too many questions, and you lose the principles because you obsess about the rules mm-hmm. you know, and the principles are the kind of, here are the three driving things. Like if you can stay vulnerable, if you can stay curious, if you can stay generous, um, you will show up as a really effective coach.
0: And that's, and that's what it all gets down to showing up for your, whoever that is, your team member, your, uh, a colleague that comes in with a challenge. Exactly. A, Wife, whatever maybe you you're you coach showing you. <laughs> up, yeah, yeah. And too often, go back to the my story. Too often, showing up meant I don't have time. I'm busy. I need to solve this for you. Yeah. And move. I'm actually moving the person out of my office. Right. You know, with my hands here, versus being more coach-like. I yeah. do have to and say, I I know course, to say I, I,
1: before before you, I just don't want you to be overly. I want you to kind of, I see what you're saying about the, you know, your old, old modus operandi and the feedback you got, which is like, I'm just trying to move them in and move them out of my office. There's a way to be gentle with yourself around that, knowing that actually you're trying to help. Be, hmm. you, don't, you have a limited amount of time, so speed is of the essence. You can't give everybody two hours chat. They don't have time for that and neither do you. So there's a way to say, oh yeah, I can see what drove me around doing that. Don't beat yourself up about it but it's also useful to go, oh, I'm seeing what worked, actually a commitment to time. I'm seeing what didn't work, me giving them the answers. So what do I need to learn from that? And how do I grow from that?
0: It's so good, because there's a lot of people out there that are, I I, I think any leader out there is, can we go back to what are you saying yes and no to? Leaders have a finite amount of time. You alluded to that when you choose to devote time to this, you're choosing to to not do something else. Gosh, there are a lot of great questions. I also love this one because I learned, I learned a lot more about what was most helpful for you. Right. I love finishing the conversation, but sometimes I can't tell if this is for me or for them. Oh, it's both. Yeah.
1: Like, it's like, it's, I'm like really transparent about when I ask it, I'm like, I've got, I've got an agenda for asking you this. It's for you. It's, it's for them. It's for you. It's for us. (laughs) Here's how it works. It starts with recognizing that one of your greatest roles is to be a teacher to people, to help them learn, help them get smarter, help them be better versions of themselves. To be a good teacher, you have to understand how people learn. They don't actually learn when you tell them stuff. They don't even really learn when you kind of get them to do stuff. They learn when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. Let's take this podcast as an example. You have heard Joel and me talk together for like 40, 45 minutes now. We've covered quite a lot. We've covered questions. We've covered principles. We've covered stories. It'll be different for each one of you listening in, but I would be curious to know, as you reflect on everything you've heard Joel and me talk about, what's been most useful or most valuable for you in this podcast? Now, here's what's happening. You're scrolling back through the podcast in your mind and going, this really struck a chord for me. And by doing that, I'm getting you to repeat the aha moment. I'm getting you to strengthen the the neural pathway. I'm getting you, I'm increasing the odds that you remember this. I'm increasing the odds that you actually go, actually, I'm taking something and I'm remembering something from this podcast. That's the first thing I'm doing. Secondly, if we were doing this in person, or if you choose, say, to give this podcast a review and mention this interview and write what was most useful for you, which I know Joel would be grateful for. Um, then we're getting feedback. So we're like, oh, that, they really like that. I'll say that more often. I'll go, ah, everybody loved it when I talked about X. I'll make sure in my next podcast interview I, I talk about that because I know that that works. So I get to be better on my side of the conversation as well. But then in a third, more subtle way, you're priming both of you to value these conversations as something that are useful and valuable to both of you. So, when they go to your meetings with you, they're like, they're already engaged because you've asked them the question, what was most useful or most valuable for the last six months, every single conversation, they found something that was useful or valuable. So now this meeting is already going to be set as useful and valuable for them. So there's a virtuous circle that you get where you're like, we like having our conversations because they are useful and valuable to both of us.
0: Michael, we are pushing up against time, and for you, for you, I could talk with you for, for <laughs> all day. But you've been generous to this, to this point. I want to. You started a, podca- a podcast in March during the pandemic. We will get through this. Yeah, um, I've listened to a few of those. Uh, thank you for first. Thank you for doing that. I work out. I listen to it. It's motivating. I have to say, my favorite one is um, how to have a, a, a good day um that you have oh, yeah, like on web. Own web yeah, yeah. and i journal So that. smart i journal that now um what am i going to focus on what am i grateful for and what am i going to let go of today it's funny what am i going to focus on and what i'm going to let go of they're kind of like the same thing i'm going to focus on doing my best I'm gonna let go of thinking that I'm in control of everything. This this pandemic has taught me anything. I'm not in control of anything. I know, I love it. I'm showing you my little notebook and there are my three questions for the day there. Cause I I, there's
1: I get those questions from uh Neil Pazrika, which I think I talked about in that episode with Carolyn Webb. And um I love them as a way of releasing stuff that I'm carrying, getting kind of connected to the good of my life, and then going, but this is the thing today that I want to really make a difference on.
0: Yeah, so I encourage everybody to Ah, uh, listen to that that uh, podcast uh, with Michael and Carolyn Webb and How to Have a Good Day. How long do you think you'll keep up that that podcast, Michael? Will that something morph into something different? Yeah, oh. you
1: know, um, I, it's actually already it's already over. Oh. So we we did two seasons of about twenty episodes each, so around forty episodes altogether. Okay, and um, I had a whole third season lined up, and then it all got complicated because of. Covid and also because I flew to Australia and it just I had to reschedule everything, so I I didn't push forward on the third season, and I've now got some ideas for other podcasts that I'm interested in exploring, and I'm sitting with the what am I saying yes to and therefore what am I saying no to, <laughs> right? And, um, part of I've, I've done numerous podcasts that we will get through it. I think is my fourth or maybe fifth podcast that I've hosted over the years. And as much as you can tell my enthusiasm in talking to people like Carolyn and others, uh, Tom Kolditz and the like, um, I was like, I don't, I've, I've, I've done more than like 400 episodes of me interviewing somebody for 30 minutes or thereabouts. I want to play around with format to keep me more on my toes around that. So, um, I think I think it's a it was a two season a two season project, and um, but I'll be launching new podcasts, which are kind of available at mbs.works
0: um, in the new year. So, and that's what I wanted to do is to get that out there because it's been helpful. It's great for leadership. It's great for personal development. So, I wanted our leaders to our listeners to listen to that. Thank um, you. Any as we as we close out here, and what else? <laughs> Michael, what else should we know about coaching leadership to help you know really what we're trying to do you and I are doing the same thing I want people to be the best versions of themselves I want them to be great leaders what else should we know Michael What would you leave us with well let me ask you this Joel what was most surprising for you
1: from this conversation I mean you know a bit about me and my work you've read my books and stuff which I really appreciate what was surprising
0: for you from this experience the most surprising thing for, for me is not something that I learned from what you told me, but how actually easy it was to get you to come onto the podcast and how you're a human and <laughs> you want to talk about leadership. I want to talk about leadership. Right. And, and we're, we're aligned from that. And it was as easy as reaching out to somebody who's a thought leader right. and saying, hey, you've got one hour. Let's spread Let's spread an idea, a model, to help people become better leaders. And we did that. I, this was, and where we got this is that I was having a conversation with somebody who's in our program who works at West Point uh, in the leadership development. We were talking about our favorite books. And uh, he, uh, he brought up your book, and I said, I got an idea. Let's get Michael on the podcast. And he was supposed to join us today, but because of some things with COVID, he couldn't be on you. Okay. So that was surprising, the th- but from a lesson of learning pr- probably, I knew it was important, but how off important it is to keep going with, what's the real challenge here for you? What's yeah. the real challenge here for you? To get that, and how many times you really need to ask it. I think I was thinking you only need to ask it once or twice, but I think that idea- Sometimes, ch- sometimes
1: ask- you only do need to ask it once or twice, but I think if, I mean, uh, maybe this is had to end, which is like as a way of a shift of people seeing how they see themselves as leaders, which is what if my job was to find the real challenge, not to come up with the fast solution. And that changes everything in terms of how you show up, how you serve, how you support the people and the organization that you're part of.
0: You want to, as you said, that as I didn't get a lot of time to process this, I also do think that it's important to, to reiterate to our listeners that you've said this multiple times, as Daniel Goldman says, there's six types of leadership you, you yeah. mentioned. Great leaders use all six. We're talking about one component today that is underutilized. So we are not saying, you and I are not saying there's not times. That, we are saying there are times that exactly. you need to be decisive. Say this is what needs to be done. This is how do you need to be done and, right. and clear on it. If the house but, is burning down, you don't go, You know how do you feel about smoke? You go leave the building. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Michael, thank you so much. I can't wait to see what you mentioned in another book. So I can't wait to see what the next book that comes out or what <laughs> idea you're working on. At the moment, it, I'm in the miserable first draft. I'm a hopeless writer,
1: and this is a terrible idea phase. So it's that's part of the process. So I'm not too stressed about it, but that's where I'm at. So I'm looking forward to seeing if there's a book here as well.
0: Well, was The Coaching Habit, did you
1: feel that way about The Coaching Habit? You know, I spent um, three or four years writing The Coaching Habit and having it continually rejected by the publisher who I kept trying to pitch it to. Um, So I definitely had ebbs and flows with that book. It took me quite a long time to find the format. I mean, when you read the book, it reads like it was kind of dashed off and it's a fast read because part of my writing philosophy is what's the shortest book I can write that's the most useful. Um, But yeah, I went through all sorts of ups and downs with that. I finally, in fact, self-published it because I couldn't get the publisher to get excited about it which turned out to be a pretty good move.
0: <laughs> well congratulations Michael thanks for all thanks. you do for helping leaders become great leaders and, and making helping people unlock their potential and best of success to you thanks for being on the show. Thanks y'all. it's been a pleasure. Thank you again for listening to the podcast with Michael I hope you enjoy it enjoyed listening to it as much as I did in conducting it and interacting with Michael. He's so energetic and inspirational about, you know, helping us to be more coach-like in conversations. And earlier in the podcast, Michael asked what I took away from the podcast. I don't think I did a really good job of answering that. What I took away is that there's situational leadership, that there's, you know, as Daniel Goleman says – There's six different types of leadership styles. Great leaders use all of them at different times. But the one that really gets underutilized is the coach-like leadership style. So I hope that you will uh, be inspired by this podcast to be more curious, ask more questions, and to listen, and even run out and get Michael's book, uh, The Coaching Habit. As always, if you have any comments for me, email me at joel at CameronHeifernBrooks.com. Uh, You have ideas for the podcast, you can follow that up with an email as well. Of course, our book, PCS to Corporate America, can also be found on Amazon. And you can also learn more at our website, Cameron-Brooks.com.